Hello and welcome to Walk in the Shadowlands podcast. Let me be your guide as we take a walk into the shadowy realms of the unexplained, the paranormal, of things that go bump in the night and haunt your dreams. Your hosts. I'm Marianne, and I would like to welcome you to our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, today, whatever time it is, wherever you are living in this beautiful world of ours. So sit back, relax, and let me be your guide as we walk into the Shadowlands together and discover what awaits us there. In 1975, a new book hit the bookshelves. The author was a Dr. Raymond Moody, and the name of the book was called Life After Life. It caused a huge stir and was very controversial for its time. I remember it was a talking point at our small hospital for some months. I personally could not put this book down. After I read the book at the very beginning of my nursing career, I promised myself that I would always listen without judgment to my patients who may have experienced this for themselves, who wanted to talk about it, and I kept my word. This episode is about near-death experiences and will be longer than the past episodes as I have a very interesting guest with us tonight, Ned Martinia, who runs a Facebook group called Near-Death Experiences, which he started in order to educate people about what this is and to provide a safe place for those who have had a near-death experience to be able to talk about what they experienced. In 1979, I was in Guatemala in my early 20s working as a healthcare missionary teaching basic healthcare and nutrition to Guatemalans. I woke up one morning knowing something was terribly wrong at home in New Zealand. It was an absolute soul-deep feeling of dread and knowing I felt like I had been punched in the stomach. The following day, I got the news that my father had a massive heart attack and had died. Distraught, I phoned home to discover that the information actually wasn't incorrect, that yes, he had indeed had a massive heart attack and had died. That was correct. That they, the medical staff, had called his time of death, but then he spontaneously resuscitated. Physically, from that time on, until his death in 1985, he was an invalid reliant on almost continuous oxygen. It wasn't until I returned home to New Zealand that I was able to see him, and he told me what had happened to him during the time that he had been pronounced dead and had come back to life. My father had what is called a near-death experience, or NDE for short. This is my father's NDE experience. My father had his initial heart attack. Then they got him to the hospital and he had another even larger than the first. During this heart attack, he was clinically dead and they had timed him the time he was officially pronounced dead by the medical staff. Dad told me that initially, following his second heart attack, he saw himself floating out of his body, watching the medical team working frantically to save him. He did not realise at first that it was his body, but he said he actually felt an emotional disconnect from it, like he was merely looking at a discarded piece of clothing. He felt no pain, no concerns, and no attachment to his body. Then a light in the corner of the room caught his attention. He said it was extremely bright, brighter than any light he had seen in this world, but it did not hurt his eyes that it turned into a tunnel and he was drawn into it. He found himself travelling along this tunnel and when he came out the other side, he found himself in the most beautiful field he had ever seen in his life. He struggled to explain to me the brightness of the colours of everything and how much clearer and brighter they were than in this world. My father found himself in this most beautiful field with stunning flowers and a stream separating the field. 
He said that the colours were all so vivid, like he was seeing them for the very first time ever, and the variety of them surpassed anything we had here. He said that he could almost smell and taste the colours, which I thought was really interesting. So he walked in the grass, enjoying the warmth of the bright light on his body and the feelings and smells of all the flowers, butterflies that were flying around. When he noticed a stream in the distance and was drawn to it, he said he walked over to the stream and the water in the stream was so clear and vivid in colour with a soft, sandy bottom. On the other side of the stream, he could see a figure standing there, apparently waiting on him. At first, he could not make out clearly who it was, as it was indistinct, but as he got closer, the form turned into a loved one he recognised. I can't precisely recall who he said it was. Either it was his mum or a beloved brother who had died some years earlier. As he got to the stream, he attempted to cross it, but the figure on the other side told him that he could not cross, that his time in the physical body was not yet over, and that he had to return. Dad cried when he explained to me the peace and love he felt there. Unconditional love, and he did not want to return to his body. He does not recall transitioning back into his body but remembers taking a deep breath, feeling tremendous pain and suddenly being surrounded by the medical team looking shocked down at him, as they would, after all he'd been pronounced dead. Until his passing, he never, ever forgot the sense of peace and unconditional love he felt during his NDE and would tear up whenever he thought about it. Dr. Moody was the first person to create the term near-death experience in his book I mentioned earlier. Since his pioneering work, many researchers have studied the subject, the way all reasons people died, what happened during their period of clinical death and the after-effects of their NDE. Basically, an NDE is a very distinct and subjective experience that some people report after a near-death encounter. In this encounter, a person is generally either clinically dead by medical terms or extremely close to death. The circumstances of this encounter can be from serious illness or injury, like, for example, a car accident, childbirth, suicide, during military battles either as a soldier or as a civilian, or, as in this case, a horse riding accident. This is Amy's near-death encounter. I was riding horses. I was out in Colorado and the Rocky Mountains. And the horse that I was riding was also a very well-trained racehorse. And I was with five other riders. And what happened was we were lost. (laughs) (laughs) so they nominated me to get to the top of the mountain and figure out where we were. So I was going to triangulate it. So I took the horse up and it was an old logging trail. And what ended up happening was I got to the top so that I could see where we were and figure out that the ranch is that way. And I didn't realize that there was a cabin behind me. Somebody came out of the cabin and slammed the door and spooked the horse. I was up on top of a hill. Oh, you might have seen the man from Snowy River. It was really close to that. The first time that I saw that movie, I was white knuckled and my dad came over and pulled my hands off of the chair and said, you're okay, Amy. It's all right. Don't worry about it. Because I was redoing that entire ride. It was probably a quarter of a mile. And it was around trees and over. And at the bottom, we there was this huge pine tree. And the horse went one way and I went the other way. And I had my arm like that to protect my head. But, you know, obviously, I mean, full stop gallop. It took two and a half hours to get the paramedics in to where I was. They had my friends had to get out to the highway first, because this is in 1980. There's no cell phones. So they had to go on out and find somebody to call the paramedics. So 
it then they got the four wheel drive ambulance stuck in the mud because it was monsoon season. So they had to hike in and hike me out on a stretcher. What I remember is looking down at the body and saying, yeah, nobody's going to want to live there. <laughs> and the being that was beside me said, no, no, that's yours. <laughs> and then I'm in the body again. Now, the four days afterwards that I'm having surgery and I'm on liquid Valium, I'm being told all of these things. I have, I knew that I had two little girls. I did not know that I was married. So this man came into the hospital and he's over my bed and he's saying, Amy, Amy, are you okay? And I went, yes, yeah, you're sure, fine. Who are you? That doesn't do good things for a 10-year man. <laughs> It really doesn't. No, it doesn't. So, you know, I went home with a man that my children told me I was married to. I went home with this guy that I didn't have any memory of at all and was there for two years until finally I said, no, no, I think I'm done now. It's been real. Okay. Have a nice life. And I called it a day at that point in time. I was able to pick up in his dreams that he was really and truly trying to think about how to put me away because obviously right. things are manifesting around me all the time. Right. Okay. All I had to do was think of something and it was right there for me immediately. You had your near-death experience. You were out of your body. You saw this being. What did the being look like? Can you remember what he looked like or did you just? Gold. Uh, just gold, you know, just, just, but I heard voices, see, so I heard, and I still to this day, not voices per se, but when I touch something, it creates a connection inside of me. So what I hear is chaos or coherence. So something is in balance or it's not in balance. Right. And that's how I can work with um, people that I, I'm doing healing work with is that I hear coherence in the body or I'll have, you know, I, I said to my guides years ago that really nobody listens. Oh, yeah, maybe I should say this. So I still had my arm in a cast. So I was still married three, four months, I guess, after my near death experience, which I didn't know what it was. I had amnesia. I had at least partial amnesia um, about who was around me. Right. And I knew that I could, you know, I could walk and talk. I had seen the accident about 10 days before it happened. I, I was working with horses. So what in my thought process was, is if I continue to do this, I'll probably break a bone somewhere, you know, if I'm working with horses. So I remember going through my entire body and saying, okay, can't break a leg, not going to break the spine. You know, I'm right-handed, so I can't break that. My right arm, my right hand, I can't break that. You know, so maybe my left arm and maybe a little concussion. <laughs> so I set it up and agreed to it. All right. So, um, when the accident happened, I had partial amnesia for a long, long, long time. Years I had it. And it's taken me working with medicine people in various healing methods and modalities in order to regain some semblance of that. But for a long, long, long time, when, you, when somebody was speaking with me, it was Amy 1 or it was Amy 2. And Amy, two was the one that was doing all of the energetic work. And Amy, one was the one that was taking care of the kids. Right. And I remember watching my children play in the living room, okay, and being on the phone with a friend. But I also had conversations in isolated places of my head that I was interactive with at the same time. And finally, I pulled the phone away from my head and I said, listen, nobody does this down here. <laughs> so it needs to be quiet. All right. <laughs> Bam. The voices went away. 
Oh, that was smart. Boundaries. Yeah. yeah. You know, nobody does this here. I mean, this is crazy making. If he knew that I was interactive in seven different conversations, I'm in an institution and mm-hmm. that's not my path. Okay. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much the way that it went for many, many years. So you woke up from your NDE and you had like your head trauma, you had your broken arm and you woke up with extra abilities that you did not have before you had your NDE. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, do you know what synesthesia is? Yes. Okay. I'm synesthetic on three, no, on four out of the five senses. Can you explain that for people who might be listening to this who don't know what that is? Sure. Synesthesia is like a slurring of the sense boundaries. So people see or or feel or taste or touch or smell. Okay. But there are usually discrete walls between those senses. I have pretty much no walls there. So in order to be able to function in a world in Manhattan, okay, where it's incredibly noisy, I mean, unbelievably noisy, hundreds of thousands of people around, and I was hearing conversations all the time. And finally, I just had to set it up so that I have the ability to turn up or to turn down those voices. So when I do the readings, you know, for people, I turn it up so that I can hear or see what's going on for my client. But then I have to turn it back down again, because it really and truly is uh, an insane place to live. Oh, yeah. Boundaries. Yeah, Mary and I can both understand that because you have to have You have to have that boundary. Otherwise, it's like a radio going around in your mind 24 hours a day. It's just like that. It's crazy making. It really is. It is, absolutely. So I I set the boundaries. You know, I I set up a control factor and, you know, I put it together. It's kind of sort of like a Star Trek, um, (laughs) you know, headquarters control room. So I have senses that I have set up on computer skills (coughs) and I can turn it up or turn it down. Yeah, I totally get that. Yeah, it just made more sense to me to do it that way. Oh, absolutely. And I really like your Star Trek reference. Many near-death experiences have said that the term near-death is not correct, as they were pronounced clinically dead and therefore were dead, not merely near-death. Sometimes people who are experiencing episodes of profound grief or who may be in deep meditation have described experiences similar but these people were in no way near death and therefore I personally would just say it was an out of body experience and not the subject of this episode. There seems to be two types of NDE that people tend to report Ones, like my dad's, that involve mostly feelings of love and joy, immense peace or even bliss. Alternatively, a very small number have distressing ones with feelings of terror, anger, isolation and even guilt. Both types say that their experiences were even more real than life here in this dimension. Dr Moody identified nine stages to an NDE, but of course NDE are individual to each person experiencing it, and so not every person who has one of these experiences has all nine stages, but most have shared commonalities. They can report 1. A strange sound. A buzzing or ringing noise while having a sense of being dead. 2. Peace and painlessness. While people are dying, they may be in intense pain, but as soon as they leave the body, the pain vanishes and they experience peace. 3. Out-of-body experience. The person often has the sensation of rising up and floating above their own body while it is surrounded by a medical team and watching it down below while feeling comfortable or, as in my dad's case, detached. They experience the feeling of being in a spiritual body that appears to be a sort of living energy field. 4. The tunnel experience. 
The next experience is that of being drawn into a tunnel at an extremely high speed. This tunnel can be dark or, as in my dad's case, it can just be a light that draws them. 5. Rising rapidly into the heavens. Instead of a tunnel, some people report rising suddenly into the heavens and seeing the earth as it would be seen by astronauts in space. 6. People of light. Once on the other side of the tunnel or after they've risen into the stars, the dying meet people who glow with an inner light. Often they find that friends and relatives who have already died are there to greet them. 7. Being of Light After meeting the people of light, the dying often meet a powerful spiritual being who some have identified as God, Jesus or some other religious figure. 8. The Life Review The being of light presents the dying with a panoramic review of everything they have ever done, everything they have ever said, everything they have ever felt. That is, they relive every single act they have done to other people and the impact that act had on the other person. And they come away feeling that love is the most important thing in life. 9. The being of light or a loved one sometimes tell the dying that they must return to life. Other times they are given a choice of staying or returning. In either case, they are generally reluctant to return. The people who choose to return do so only because of loved ones here that they don't want to leave behind. So, those are the phases identified by Dr. Moody in his initial research. An NDE can include any combination of the phases, and the phases can occur in any order. These can even overlap, seeming to occur at the same time. Also, any two people describing the same general phase will describe differences between their two experiences. They, as previously mentioned, are personal to the person having them. It is estimated that between 12 and 40% of people who go through a near-death episode will later say they had an NDE. So that is not a small amount of experiences at all. Children who have NDEs experience the same things but in far simpler forms and are not influenced in their experiences by their cultures or religious ideology as some adults perhaps are. People who had an NDE as a child generally report feeling different from most children whilst growing up. People who have had an NDE during a suicide attempt are particularly interesting to me. An important finding from general research is that ordinarily a person who has attempted suicide is more than likely to try again. Suicide attempters, on the other hand, who had an NDE are much less likely to try again. They say they have learned that their lives have purpose. They see life as a gift. When they face hard times, they believe their job is to deal with the problem constructively. They see all life experiences as opportunities to deepen their ability to love and to increase their knowledge. by Ghost, copyright 2010, licensed under Creative Commons. For more information, see my podcast website www.walkingtheshadowlands.com. The effects of an NDE are often life-changing and its details will typically be remembered clearly for decades. Most experiences say their NDEs have changed them. Some changes happened right away, others more gradually over time. Many people who have had NDEs need time to integrate the experience. Some people need months, others need years. People who have had distressing NDEs may feel especially 
challenge to make sense of their experiences. And this is where the platform provided by Ned comes into its own. Now my background, I'm born in the mid-80s. And so, you know, a time when I think the a culture here in the um, U.S. was a slowly kind of opening up uh, decades earlier, it was extremely uh, dangerous almost people who had an NDE to open up about it. And so I think it was in that process of the 80s were kind of a, a very interesting, um, a wacky time. People were sort of opening up and, you know, it was, it was kind of the shift of that. And so um, as a kid, I was a very sensitive and uh, shy and I was almost afraid or I, I was extremely afraid of people. <laughs> I would hide in the hallway if we had a um, a company over like a party in the house and I was just afraid of all the visitors and I was always kind of uh, felt like an alien here on earth and I felt like what am I here for anyway you know it it seems like kind of a um kind of a I don't want to say a primitive place but it's a place where where there's there's just so much drama like in society in, in governments and people there there's just so much um, lies and so much you know just a uh, lack of harmony um, lack of intelligence it seemed like so as a kid even I would always uh, think about all uh, these uh, things you know which is kind of uh, not common for a kid to kind of think about you know and you know and I've learned since then about ND children who've had NDEs and oftentimes when they come back, they're extremely, they're actually, they're almost like um, adults, you know, they're, they're very mature and um, aware of things. And so kind of, uh, I grew up like that. And I, I remember on the playground at, at, at school, extremely shy, kind of alone and often, often picked on, I became, you know, a, a depressed and, and everything like that. And I, Eventually, as a teenager, I thought, um, why am I here? You know, uh, is there any any purpose to being on earth at all? Because uh, my family, I was, I love them, but I felt like I, I was still, um, I, I felt like uh, there was a sensitivity in me that they uh, couldn't nurture or understand. Like I felt even with my family that there was something missing, like some kind of um, love or some kind of support the missing, you know, and I've always been a curious person. I want to understand how things are, how things work uh, and why things happen. So naturally, once I uh, found a science, I'm like, wow, this is, you know, I, I was fascinated. But it's interesting because anyone who kind of uh, goes on, on the path of science and you'll hear this from a lot of uh, doctors or people who even Eben Alexander, the famous neurosurgeon who had his own NDE, he said, you know, and this, this is a common where he, he went in there having faith in a spiritual background, but they basically taught it out of him. They trained it out of him. They said, well, no, the brain creates all this. And, you know, all those other ideas are just uh, uh, make-believe hallucinations. And so that kind of happened to me a little bit. And I learned about atheism and that there is no evidence of, of a higher power. There is no evidence of a soul. So I'm like, okay, well. Uh, that's what the experts are uh, saying, you know, and so, but just to reach a point in high school where I was so depressed and uh, felt like an alien and felt alone without any, anyone on my um, wavelength to like say, um, hi, look, I, I see you. I hear you. I'm, I'm with you. There wasn't anything like that. And so I thought about, well, um, why am I here anyway? What's what, what good is it if I'm living if I'm not happy. And so I thought about you know, suicide. I thought, especially as an atheist, like, well, there is no meaning. There is no purpose. There is no a God or soul or anything. So there's, there's no purpose at all. So who cares if I, I kill myself? That's kind of the idea that I, I had. And I thought, well, even if uh, my parents are sad, well, it'll be only temporary and then they'll die. And then it, um, nothing happened at all. You know, it's like, who cares? But then I started a searching, like I was like, well, there has to be some kind of answers, you know, and, and so I started um, reading books and spirituality. I looked at like different religions. Uh, I looked at the Bible. I looked at Hinduism, Taoism. I took classes on uh, world um, religions and, 
you know, you see, oh, in the big picture, a lot of them have common threads, but they all talk about uh, love and they all talk about, you know, compassion and how God is, is like a, beyond a, a name. You can't uh, box him, it, her, in anywhere. It's more than we could ever imagine. So that got me kind of uh, curious. And so um, all that was was like a theory, you know, I was like, okay, well, uh, that's a theory. But after I, I heard about a friend who, who talked to a psychic, and she actually told me, hey, Ned, do you want a reading? I know a psychic. And I was curious. I was like, wow, fascinating. Well, as a scientist kind of mind, I want to see if there's anything, any information that's accurate. So I said, okay, yeah. yeah she was actually all the way across the country in Florida. So this was on the phone. I called her in Florida, she didn't know anything about me. And she told me things about my personality and my future, but also her main message reflecting on it, it was obviously from the spirit was cheer up. Don't be so um, negative because I was extremely hard on myself. Now I've come a long way. I used to be in a shell, a hermit. I used to be afraid of this kind of a talk I would be terrified of. <laughs> so it's been a process of that. So you had a meeting with this clairvoyant who kind of set you on your path, really, didn't she? Or at least got you to change your perspective on how you looked at the world. Yeah, because it was like, wow, you know, she talked about how a lot of intuitives or people who have this, you know, she had it since she was a child and she actually sees a dead people or spirits, even just like in her office, she has, she puts uh, crystals, you know, at her desk to kind of keep her energy good and you're like wow and so in my mind as a teenager I was thinking wow there are, there are invisible people all around that I can't even see and it was <laughs> fascinating you know and so through that psychics and then I and then I heard about near-death experiences and I read a Dr. Raymond Moody's Life After Life and it was extremely inspiring it was kind of like at that point I found the answer I found okay there is love out there in the universe there is a purpose and so at that point I didn't have any thought of suicide anymore because I'm like well I have a purpose and and so I'm gonna at least try that um, while I'm here. (laughs) That book by Dr. Moody is an excellent book. I remember it came out in 1975. I'd been into my hospital-based nursing training for about a year at that stage. When I read it, it had a profound effect on me. And from there on in, I promised myself that I'd be really open to listening to whatever my patients wanted to talk about. I wouldn't be judgmental and I would simply allow them to express themselves in a safe environment. You read his book on NDEs and it turned your life around. Tell me about your Facebook group and how it came about following on from Dr. Moody's book and your epiphany. It was an epiphany over time because I, I read his book and then I, I started, I became obsessed. I started looking for other books and, and then I found uh, on YouTube, a lot of people who had NDEs, they record themselves on YouTube and I'm, I, I watched their videos and I was just like, wow, you know, I was so uh, amazed. They talk about the love and they talk about how we're all here, we're all uh, one. So it's about, you know, it's not about um, religion. I should add the divisive beliefs, ones that say these people are good, these people are bad. It isn't about all that. It isn't about the rules. You must do this, otherwise you're going to be punished. You learn what life is actually about. So it's a process. So I saw a lot of these uh, videos. And then in the year uh, 2012, I heard about, um, IANS, which is International Association for Near-Death Studies. And I heard about it. I think it was like in August, found their website, and it said the next conference is uh, Labor Day weekend. I don't know. That's end of uh, September. And so it was August, and I heard about it. And I, because of how passionate I was about NDEs, and I felt like it was basically uh, saved my life. It was my uh, reason for living. And, and I felt like I want to just get this message out to as many people as I can, because it's important. This is the, this is why we're here. <laughs> and I bought a plane ticket and I attended the conference there. It was in Arizona, in Phoenix. I met a lot of the people that I saw on um, YouTube as I was uh, watching. And I was like, wow, I think that was the year Evan Alexander was there. I think that was his first year, you know, where he had proof of heaven and a bunch of other people, the melon, Thomas, 
Benedict was there, uh, Daniel Brinkley was there, uh, people that you hear about. And I was like, wow, you know, their stories and the people, all the hugs in the hallways. So I had that, you know, that whole almost entering into a family of near-death experiences. It was a year after that, which was September of 2013, that I, I, I have a Facebook and I thought, you know what, this information and in, in these articles and uh, videos are so valuable. I want to just make a a group on Facebook and uh, posting them, you know, as I find them, I'll share them. And when I started it, it was just a me, like I was the only one in it. And just, I thought about it as a way to organize these uh, articles and things but over time and people, they started joining it. And um, then it kind of took off on its own. Like I uh, never uh, did any uh, promotion or asking uh, people to kind of uh, join. It just kind of People found it, and then uh, their friends on Facebook would uh, see a post and then get curious about it and, and join. So it's just kind of an avalanche of, I think, just indicator of the public curiosity and uh, readiness for this topic. Right. And so now you have something like 33,000 members. Is that correct? Almost, yeah. I think it's just over uh, 32,000. But yeah, it's a, it's a lot of people. And it's kind of like, it's uh, since I started it in 2013, it's been about, um, what is it, uh, six years now. And it's a constant thing because it's like, becomes a part of your life because you wake up and you check, you have to approve the post, you have to add the members if there's people who are uh, bickering or something you have to kind of handle that so every day it's just a part it becomes a part of your life and <laughs> but it's it's important um, now you see a lot of people who are uh, NDEers who are becoming authors and they're is speaking in the media and supporting that and and just helping this uh, message get out there in the world that's really awesome what you're doing. And I think it's so important where people have a place where they feel safe to be able to talk about something that is so incredibly and profoundly life-changing for so many people. I understand what you're saying about groups because I run a Facebook group myself called Walking the Shadowlands, which is how this podcast got started to begin with. It was at Member Suggestions doesn't have nearly as many members as you do but there's quite a bit of work behind the scenes that people aren't aware of. Over the time you've run this group Ned have you noticed any sort of like patterns emerging amongst the people who have shared their NDEs? That's a good question yeah there are many patterns and well and also I want to add it seems like a lot of the posts uh, seem to be from people who haven't had NDEs, but they're curious. They're like, uh, what is that? And then they ask about hell, you know, because their religion, their family taught them about hell and they're afraid of hell. They say, and they come in and they say, is there really a hell? And yes, excellent to have people who've actually been there to answer their questions. So a lot of it, like I think of it sometimes as, you know, on Facebook and even on the internet, there are many NDE groups. And I feel like uh, this one that I created is almost like, NDE um, 101. It's it's like introduction for, uh, for the public who never heard about these, and they come in and they're like, you know, they're asking all these questions. And but then in terms of the NDEers, yeah, and a lot of them share a, a huge pattern is is that a message of um, love and that important how um, we we treat each other, and also in that everything is okay. You know, like we we easily uh, stress out. We see the headlines and we see people um, running the show and there's a lot of uh, drama and a lot of people are, are uh, scared, you know, and they're thinking, well, I mean, it, it just increases the, the stress in people when they turn on the TV or they look in the paper and everything is just uh, stressful. And a big message of NDEs is that everything is, is in a higher um, order. And, but it's also, it's, it, you know, what, what's interesting is in that, that question about any patterns in the group, uh, a big one is is that you see how even how similar a lot of NDEs are, everyone is still like a, a person. It's who they are. And so it's almost like, you know, you can have a, a liberal person and a conservative person, both had NDEs and come back and are uh, still um, have particular uh, views in politics and sometimes disagreements. And it's about handling them in a, a better way because ultimately it's like perhaps 
our task here on Earth as humanity is to iron out uh, these uh, differences because uh, one thing that that end years all say is it's about love. And so it's like, okay, how can we live that more? That's a really valid point. A star person once said to me back in the early 80s, Marianne, when you do everything, you must do it from your heart. When you think, think from your heart. When you talk, talk from your heart. When you act, act from your heart. And really, that's just all about love, isn't it? That's just all about love. So it's really wonderful that most of your members who have had an NDE come back with pretty much that sort of message. And I think, well, also a big one is um, nature. So that um, love each other and also the earth. Protecting the earth and looking after her. Uh, right, right. Because like um, nature is us. And, and I've heard several in the years to talk about how, you know, how the um, uh, native uh, peoples, you know, who were a lot closer in the earth, um, heard it said how um, we can uh, learn a lot from them. Yes, yes, I absolutely agree with that. Now, in terms of, so you've talked about the messages they come back with, love and protecting the earth. What about the commonalities that most experiences see? For example, like my father that I talked about earlier in the episode, are there any specific commonalities that they might see? Yeah, a lot of them uh, meet uh, loved ones. Uh, family members or even people that, you know, in their family that they ha- had never uh, met or heard about, like a, a child who sees a grandpa who passed away before uh, they were born. And so you see a lot of family members, a lot of uh, Jesus. And this is something too, because uh, some people will see Jesus or will see other beings who have that love. And and sometimes this is a perfect opportunity in a group, you know, when people, some people are very um, love Jesus and other people are kind of, you know, have had upbringing that was perhaps religion imposed on them. And, and so when they hear Jesus, they're kind of, it hurts them, you know, the memories of um, rules and the restrictions on them. And so it's about kind of abridging that and reminding everyone that um, what was this whole message anyway? It was about uh, love and that power and that uh, sacredness. On that point, Ned, if you were of the Christian religion, you might see Jesus. But if you were of any other religion, you might see whatever figure had significance to you. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, and I think like I think even more common is a seeing, let's say, a guides or angels who are powerful, but without uh, names. Without it's just like uh, people will call it the um, light, and perhaps a lot of people will say, "Well, that's a god." It's a perfect um, name because it's a powerful thing. It um, knows all about you. And and so it's a common theme of either um, loved ones or um, religious figures or or figures without um, names who are very powerful. Uh, Trisha Barker, her NDE happened in an operating table. It was uh, these angels who were, I think she said, about um, nine feet tall. And I've heard a lot of other NDEers, uh, Nancy Ryan's. Uh, talk about these tall beings who are extremely intelligent, extremely uh, powerful, and they healed her. It's almost like the person doesn't uh, know who they are, but uh, just that they're in good hands and uh, being taken care of and protected and healed like that. Oh, that's really awesome, isn't it? Amy, who was sharing her NDE with me, said she saw a being that this being had no discernible features and was just composed of golden light. And I want to add, uh, that's a common, yeah. Uh, beings who are just so intense energy, so bright that the person uh, can't even see them. They're just a strong energy and they're just overpowering. They um, look at them, it's almost uh, blinding. But uh, that um, light and that power is uh, love. Have you observed that people, once they've had their NDEs, come back changed? Or perhaps with abilities that they did not have before, they had their experience. Yes, yeah. It's a common after effect in NDEs. And so people will talk about like they can't um, wear watches <laughs> because they, they keep uh, stopping or they, you know, they'll, they'll often, they've had a lot of electrical issues with computers or uh, gadgets. And also like um, a lot of people will, will come back and they'll have a lot a lot more um, knowing of the future or knowing 
uh, certain uh, things about people. And, and so it's a common after effect to, to really opens up um, one's intuition and a psychic senses. It's very common. As I recall, that happened with Damien Brinkley, didn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he, yeah, he, he just like a, a lot of people, he started, I think it was him or someone else, but I was listening to an interview who had an NDE and he said he became so sensitive uh, to, to um, the energy and other people in, in their minds. He could hear, could hear their conversations in their mind. He could feel the energy. If he was in an apartment building or a hotel, it would be hard for him because all the, the rooms around him, he could, he could hear what was in their heads. And so, you know, his uh, way of escaping that was going out into nature kind of on his own. And so, yeah, it's interesting how that kind of happens. And also it's common for people, if that does happen, if they pray about it and ask and like, um, this is overwhelming, I, I have a hard time with this, you know, and oftentimes the angels are listening and they'll uh, dial it down a little bit. <laughs> oh, that's really cool. I know Amy had a very similar thing happen with her and she had to ask for it to be toned down so she could live in this reality. It was just too difficult for her. So that's actually really interesting. Obviously, creating this Facebook group has been a really positive experience for you and it's helped you to find your path pretty much. Well, it is your path, obviously. Definitely. And I feel like in the past uh, year especially, I've had a lot of changes in my life and I'm moving across the country and um, new friends and, and habits and situations. And so I, I've been actually on Facebook a lot less um, this year than I have been for many years. And so it's almost like I've been, you know, the group is the uh, largest it's ever been. And yet I'm um, the most detached from it. A lot of people uh, tell me, well, this is uh, valuable, you know, it's important. And it's like, yeah, and I feel that because I feel like my purpose, like I, ever since I heard about NDEs, they basically saved uh, my life is, but I want to be like an amplifier and broadcast the message out there. So people like, you know, will hear it because the public is a, a still a very, uh, for lack of a better word, it's, yeah, ignorant about it. And, and um, not in a, a bad way, but they just, they don't have any uh, idea. Or a lot of people will say, oh, I heard about those. Those are hallucinations. They'll just, you know, the scientists, it seems like every um, year or uh, month will we'll put out articles. Oh, you know, uh, we have figured out what causes these NDEs. It's, it's lack of oxygen or it's, uh, carbon dioxide, or um, when uh, the brain uh, dies, it kind of uh, briefly uh, puts out um, a lot of electrical energy. And so that electrical energy is what the NDE is. We, we, we have it all figured out. But yet <laughs> these articles and these, these scientists completely ignore the, the most important evidence in these, you know, is that people actually will hear things and see things um, uh, that are impossible at a time of the clinical death without any heartbeat, without any, any uh, oxygen in the brain, without any brain activity. And even if, if people argue over, you know, um, was the brain actually dead or not at that time, uh, people are seeing things like down the hall, other places in, in operations where their um, eyes are completely uh, covered. They actually have uh, allowed uh, clickers in their ears. This, this often happens in surgeries, you know, like I think up to 100 decibels, because I think it because it, it can help them measure uh, the uh, brain um, activity. And there's a case of this uh, particular, Pamela um, Reynolds, this was in the early uh, 90s, but, but even people who are completely out, and they're completely uh, covered up are observing things or seeing things or hearing things. And, and you talk, we, we just talked about this thing called intuition and people hearing other people's thoughts and feelings, it happens after their NDE, but not before then. The scientists keep on, you know, acting like there is no, there isn't anything like intuition. There is no uh, soul. They're just kind of uh, basically uh, closed off uh, to all this. And this isn't all scientists, you know, but this is kind of the current uh, mainstream, you know, the current uh, party line. But, but there are uh, scientists out there who are, are actually studying this honestly and they're actually listening to people who've had these you know when you mentioned how as a um, nurse with your patients you would actually listen so I think over time that population is growing. 
Yeah, and I know before I started looking at this episode, I did a lot of research. I always do probably about 10 to 30 hours for each show in total because I want to give a balance for you as much as I can without overtly trying to let my personal biases influence what I am saying. Of course, some do creep through. This is really hard to prevent. I did read about the scientists and what you were talking about during my research and I thought, well, science as we currently understand it can't explain everything. For example, what about that neuroscientist who had his NDE? This was a scientifically trained professional who worked in the field of neurosurgery who specialised in all things to do with the brain. He studied them for a living. I agree with you about the scientists. They only look at empirical evidence, things they can touch and feel. Uh, true. And but even even more than that, like a lot of them, I don't know if they're intentionally dishonest or they just have these huge blinders on because <laughs> because there's evidence and it's increasing all the time and they're just not even looking at it. They're just kind of shrugging and acting as if it's just uh, worthless. You know, Evan Alexander, uh, the a uh, neurosurgeon who uh, we've uh, talked about. He often, he mentions um, a, a book out there. It's called Irreducible Mind, Consciousness uh, for the 21st Century. And it's all, all about verified, peer-reviewed cases. I think it's like either 600 or 800 pages of like all kinds of studies, all kinds of research. Uh, evidence is out there and, it, and it's been increasingly growing and it's almost like you think about why, you know, like you hear a lot of people say, well, if uh, this was um, real, it would be front page headlines, you know, all over the um, world and, and we'd all change overnight. And yet that isn't what happens because you look at people who are in charge and people often care, you know, unfortunately, who care about power and profit, they tend to end up in power. And so the people who are in, in charge of things, oftentimes, you know, um, not always, because there are, are definitely exceptions, but a lot of them are not thinking about, let's say, overall goodwill or uh, living in the heart. They're kind of, they're focused on the bottom line, they're focused on profit. And so, and so I have a feeling that, you know, a big reason that these and a whole lot of other uh, truths out there which are kind of still being uh, kept underground, like are actively being kind of kept um, under a lid is because of more selfish uh, motives of, because if it's all about um, love and it's all about helping each other, the people who, who have a lot of power, who, who kind of uh, don't like that whole idea of fairness and equality, they, they kind of like things as they are, which is at least in the um, US is becoming extremely unequal. I think it's the most unequal income and um, wealth uh, distribution either um, ever or since like the late 1800s. The whole trend is for the people who have all, all the wealth to keep on taking more of it and everyone else struggling harder with uh, two jobs or three jobs or just, you know, and you think about it's becoming so hard for a lot of people, which is the opposite the message of NDEs about how we're all in this together and we're all here to help each other. Right. That's a very valid point. And I think that what you're doing is really wonderful. I think it's absolutely awesome that you give people this platform that they can feel safe enough to express their views and their feelings and their experiences. And it normalizes it. It brings it out from the shadows. I mentioned the name of your group prior to this interview. Perhaps you would like to tell us all again what the name of your group is so that they can find you on Facebook. Of course, I feel pretty sure that after this episode is, you'll get a few more members joining you. Cool. Yeah. Well, my group on Facebook, if you just enter in um, near-death experiences, and it'll be a group in there. It has a picture of um, uh, stars, and um, it'll uh, mention about 32,000 members. And so if you see that one, uh, that's, that's it. And there's also other NDE groups out there. Just in case anyone wonders if it's a competition or if you know or anything it isn't like that at all, like I support and I sometimes I mention other groups and and this is um, a good reminder for people. Uh, my group is completely open. It's actually public. So if people are afraid, you know, of posting there because if their family sees it, you know, 
it isn't the best place for that. It's more, it's open intentionally because, because the whole purpose is to wake up humanity, is to um, let this information out there. But there are other indie groups on Facebook which are closed. Uh, so you have to, you have to ask uh, to uh, join and anything you share in there is private, which I, I'm, I'm in uh, a lot of those also, and I support them. Uh, but mine is just um, near-death experiences, and it's open and public. People can always post anonymously in your group anyway, couldn't they? Actually, that's a good point, because sometimes people uh, message me and uh, tell me, hey, could you post this for me? And I'll, I'll post it uh, anonymously. Yeah, so there's always ways around it. That's good to know. I really like your group and some of the experiences people have shared on there are very, very touching. I know that it has helped so many people. For you, Ned, has the running of this group made you reassess your values or core beliefs in any way? Well, it constantly challenges, well, I don't don't think challenges, but it's an exercise in diplomacy because you have to, I guess, handle or uh, work um, with people from all over, people who are extremely Christian, fundamentalist even, people who are extremely bitter uh, about um, religion and so are are sensitive about it. You have to handle people who are uh, political, you you know, who think that this way is the right way. And, you know, you you have to kind of bridge all these uh, diverse people. But I guess this whole topic is teaching me about actually um, living and applying the message of um, love, you know, whoever it is, you know, if it's a person who uh, trouble uh, with drugs and, you know, has been in jail and, you know, has mental challenges and who's in there uh, wanting help and helping them and helping someone, um, helping people from all over and truly from that unconditional um, love, uh, trying my best to kind of apply that where it's internet and where people often um, love to sometimes argue. (laughs) It just happens on the internet. So, yeah. You also pretty much answered my next question, which is going to be, has this experience currently impacted the way you live your life here and now? Uh, Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I guess even further is that it, you know, you, you hear a lot, and I think what's awesome in my group and other groups like this is that, like you said, how it helps to normalize it for people. And so, you you know, and people will sometimes will talk about how um, their family doesn't understand it or them or, or they actually had a separation uh, from their family, you know, because oftentimes when people have these, they get inspired to actually follow their hearts. A lot of our, our culture, you know, it isn't about that yet. It isn't about to follow in your hearts. It's about, well, you need to do this because these are expectations on you. And this is how we've always had it. And even though we're kind of miserable like this, this is just how it is. And they're like, no, I I died. I I saw a better vision and I'm going to follow my heart. And so it's uh, sometimes almost like um, refugees, you know, they're helping each other because because they have to find um, new friends or family, you know. And I guess it supports me because it's like I also, you know, over time I'm becoming a more courageous to follow my heart like that, even if it's unconventional or people won't understand it. So are there any messages or anything that you've observed in your group that you might like to pass on to listeners that might perhaps be useful to them? Well, I guess a big one, I'll answer like a, a three of the most common questions that people ask who join in and, and they they haven't have seen the conversations but a lot of people ask are there pets in heaven are animals in heaven <laughs> and the answer is yes <laughs> a lot of um, NDEs they actually feature their, their their pets like I recall there was an there was a, a man who I think he had his NDE when he was in his 50s and yet when he was on the other side I think his a puppy who he had when he was a, a kid jumped up at him and, and was um, welcoming him home. And, and so, yes, our, our pets are definitely over there, <laughs> just as um, loving and uh, cherished. <laughs> and then two, people ask about hell a lot. I don't know how it is, how common it is in um, New Zealand or Australia and that whole area for people to kind of focus on hell. But here, especially like in the uh, 
America in the South, you know, hell is a big thing. And so people are, are terrified of hell, you know. And so the answer is, um, no, um, there isn't a hell that you have to be afraid of. However, you hear all kinds of NDEs and sometimes there are painful parts of them. Sometimes it's a little scary and there, there are uh, reasons for this. And so whether the person was on drugs, either recreational or prescription, it can have an impact at least on the initial part of it. However, it seems like, like every single a case I've seen that started off as scary, always as it went uh, deeper, the um, lights always appeared. But if they asked for help, if they uh, surrendered, because a lot of people who, who um, have the, the, the biggest fear are holding on uh, tightly. And, and it's just, if, if they ask for help, they say, I'm universe, uh, God, angels, a grandpa, whoever, I'm scared, help me, and it will come. And so don't fear hell. Life isn't about avoiding hell. Like a lot of fundamentalists, that's how they, they live. It's like the whole purpose to live is to avoid hell. Um, no, that's not what NDEs are teaching us. And then final question is about suicide. And people ask, well, what happens to suicides? You know, either because they had a loved one who suicided and they're afraid of it. They hope that their loved one's okay. So many NDEs of suicides were extremely beautiful, it, healing. And it isn't about, uh-oh, I, I, someone I um, know a suicide and, and, I, and they're going to end up in hell. It's not like that at all. It's about love and about learning here on earth. And so even if a person had a hard time, they will have help on the other side. Uh, just send them uh, love, prayers, and uh, they hear it. It's, it's really about um, love. Thank you for that, Ned. That's something that constantly comes up in my Facebook group, Walking the Shadowlands. Members that have lost a loved one through suicide or a friend. And that's what I always tell them because that's what I know. As a medium, I've worked with a lot of souls that have crossed over, people who have committed suicide, and that is what they always say to me. I was met with nothing but unconditional love unconditional love, no judgment for what I had done, just unconditional love and healing. So to hear that from your perspective, that really validates what I've told members. And I know that will help a lot of people who may be currently going through this or still struggling and healing from losing someone they love in this manner. Is there anything else you might like to add? I guess I guess I just want to add that the the whole message of NDEs and that we're all in this together. Like a common thing is the um, life review and uh, not every NDE has this. And I want to add also because people uh, wonder, well, this person had an NDE and didn't have a life review just because some NDE didn't have something that a different one had doesn't mean it isn't there. It's almost like there's all kinds of NDEs. Some are extremely brief. You know, a person is in the operating table and they float on the ceiling and they look around and then they're back in, you know, extremely brief. Some are very deep and detailed and the person ends up on a whole different universe and a whole different realm and they learn things and all this. So I think a key is to look at the bigger picture of a lot of NDEs. It isn't about fixating on one to have all the answers it's I'm looking at all of us and, you know, and you, you see the message oftentimes NDE is extremely personal for that particular person. And so it's what they needed most, but others, they have more uh, common or universal uh, messages for us all. But the biggest one of those is love and that we're all in this together. How we treat others is important because a lot of like um, we talked earlier about the, how the mainstream uh, still kind of uh, shrugs these off as hallucinations. And, you know, it's like also in the, the mainstream to think about how we treat others isn't important or it's based on the status. Oh, this person is rich. And so uh, this person is uh, more valuable than this other person who's homeless. NDEs teach us, you know, we're all equal. And, and if you look at the message of all religions, if, if you could uh, boil it down, they talk about love, the whole golden rule, which is exactly what people find, you know, in their NDEs. And so I guess it's a, a reminder to be kind. 
there's a quote that says, be kind for every person um, you meet is a fighting a hard battle. We never know what people are dealing with either physically or emotionally. Uh, so uh, be kind because that could be you. That's really profound, Ned. Pretty profound. To close off, I'd like to thank you so very much for your time and your energy in speaking with us for this episode on NDEs, for sharing your journey and your learning with us all. It's been a really, really interesting conversation, at least for me, and I trust for our listeners also. I know for many listeners, it may raise a lot of questions that perhaps they had not considered before, and for others, it will answer a lot and perhaps give needed peace to some. So thank you so very much, Ned, for your time. Uh, thank you. I, I loved it. I loved it. Hello, Marianne. episode we focused on near-death experiences, how they first came into mainstream awareness, how the term was coined, a bit of research done on them and what they are along with the effects they have on the experiences. We have listened to Ned talk so passionately about what he has learned during the years he has run his NDE support group on Facebook. I personally feel that this is an area that needs to have so much more coverage and more attention, so I was very happy to have this opportunity to talk with Ned today, and I have thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with him. If you like the show, then please consider supporting me on Patreon.com. Become a subscriber, and for a few dollars a month, you can support this show and help cover hosting, bandwidth, and other expenses, like royalty fees for any music I may use in future episodes. As a subscriber, you will get access to back episodes of the show and other extras, also, you will always get my absolute appreciation and love. Patreon.com or check the link out on our website www.walkingtheshadowlands.com Join us next week when we are going to have an episode solely on people's encounters with ghosts. So make sure you have your lights low and cuddle up in a warm blanket ready to listen. Thank you so very much for listening tonight, today, wherever you are in this beautiful world of ours. If you haven't already, then please subscribe on iTunes and leave us a positive rating and review. Spread the word around about this podcast. Invite your friends, family and workmates to subscribe and listen too. And we will see you this time next week. Thanks for listening. 